I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. This is a late posted episode and a relatively long episode, so I'm going to try to keep this intro short. I feel I find myself saying that more and more recently. I hope everyone had themselves merry little Christmases, uh, if you celebrate that sort of thing. Uh, I certainly did. been in Atlanta with family uh, since Christmas Eve. Um, it's been really nice. Went to see Saving Mr. Banks yesterday with the fam. Everybody cried a lot. It's a great movie. Check it out. MBS digs it. Uh, my episode today is with guest Christopher Kidder Mostrum. He is, uh, one of the, um, co-authors slash translators of, uh, a Klingon Christmas Carol, which is a really, um, <laughs> relatively long-standing um, Christmas production tradition uh, that started in the Twin Cities and has since come to Chicago uh, with Christopher. Um, I went to see it last weekend. It was absolutely a blast. This coming from not really much of a Star Trek fan, uh, just a fan of cool theater, and that it is. Uh, they The play is performed entirely in Klingon. The uh, English subtitles are projected onto the back of the stage. Um, it, it was really cool. I, I'm really glad I got to experience it, especially after sitting down uh, with Chris and talking to him at length about uh, his love of translating. Uh, typically, that means for him translating foreign language works into English uh, to be able to bring them to English-speaking uh, audiences. But in that case, it was English to Klingon, uh, and he'll get way more into that, uh, so I won't go on about it now. I, I met Chris at a Your Stories um, event that the Neurologs did uh, last month where we invited uh, Klingon Christmas Carol company members and uh, improvised Star Trek um, cast members to join us and tell their own stories, and Christopher's was... A really, really nice uh, short story uh, that was a little melancholy, um, but just really sweet. And uh, met him briefly that night and uh, wanted to get him on. And uh, it all worked out, and I'm, I'm really glad because I think this is an incredibly interesting episode. Uh, he brought to light a lot of things that I never really would have thought about where translating is concerned and how much it has affected his life. Um and continues to affect his life. Uh, I, I, th I think it's really enjoyable. Um, I will link to his um, Your Stories episode in the notes for this, if you'd like to check that out. Tonight, uh, Friday the 27th at midnight at I.O., Christopher will be guest appearing with the Improvised Star Trek Company, um, and I will be attending because I think... Uh, it's something that I really want to check out. I've never seen Improvised Star Trek, and I know a lot of the company members, and they're really excellent people. Um, teaser, one of them will be on the episode uh, next week. I'll actually release that one on Wednesday, or though it will be New Year's Day. I'm sure I'll have less going on with family and such on New Year's Day than I did on Christmas. Uh, anyway... Without much further ado, uh, one sh brief plug for the Nerlogs, uh, are doing our Sketchfest show on January 11th at 11pm at Stage 773 at Belmont Racine in Chicago. Uh, Raygun Reagan is moving to Friday nights instead of Wednesdays. We don't have a catchy name for that, like Ray Ray Wednesdays. Um, Squall has a show on the 28th this Saturday tomorrow at 8 at the playground good stuff people I am as always really grateful for all the things that I get to do and be a part of including this so 
I'm glad people are listening and enjoying, and I hope you all listen to and enjoy this episode with the kind, intelligent Christopher Kittermostrom. I worked at a uh, coffee bar in college. That'll do it. It's one of my, you know, many ways of paying for college. <laughs> and uh, Where'd you go to school? Uh, Morningside College in Sioux City, Iowa. Okay. A uh, small liberal arts college that uh, had a theater department of two professors. And my the year I got there, there were ten of us who started. Uh, ten in your in my grade in my class of wow of uh, theater majors, not yeah not right right right, right, right. yeah. Um, but of the ones who started with me, only two graduated as theater majors, and I was the only one who graduated on time. Wow. <laughs> so um, you know, it it had a high turnout rate. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I didn't get a bad education. What yeah. I didn't come out with was the contacts that you normally get. Sure, absolutely, like and so. especially in the creative uh, uh, degree areas. Right. Those are pretty important. Yep. Uh, I also went to a small liberal arts college, uh, Furman University in South Carolina. Okay. Um, and it, I, I was not a theater major, um, but there were four professors in the department, and. Uh, I think the class that graduated when I did had like seven or eight majors that graduated. Uh, anyway, uh, but because it was really small, I got to be really active in it because right. if they wanted to do productions that had, you know, more than a few members of the cast, yeah. uh, I could sneak my way in and, uh, it's pretty much, you know, led to me moving here and continuing to work in well, that's uh, awesome. performing. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super thankful that that's the way it worked out. Yeah. Well, it worked out for my, my ex-wife, my, my daughter's mother, mm-hmm. um, was a history major. Oh, okay. But she did so much theater that she didn't start out with me, but uh, she did graduate with me as a theater major. Oh, um, cool. So um, that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was the kind of thing. You didn't have to be a theater major mm-hmm. to be involved and take all the classes. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the other side of, like, you might not have as many contacts, but at those major, at those big schools, if you're not, like, the best majors of the department, you're not going to get cast in things. You're right. not going to get as many opportunities. And if you're not a major, you're super SOL. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You start out on, on stage, maybe. By your junior year, right, or, right, or exactly. In, or in student projects early on, but not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the small school was a good thing, mm-hmm. and it allowed me. I was a theater and poli sci double major. Great, um, and it allowed me to pursue a, a number of different interests. And yeah, had a philosophy minor as well that I added to try and graduate at the same time as some of my friends and then I decided well that's crap that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would have just meant hanging around for another half year. right just so. to finish a minor yeah. right yeah I I faced a similar decision I was a chemistry major and uh, had plenty of time to finish my chemistry degree and considered staying for longer to finish a theater degree as well because um, I had taken about eight classes with the department and I needed two or three more mm-hmm. and I was just like mm, not not worth it Get, yeah. get the degree, you got the experience, yeah. and then I moved to Chicago the fall after that instead awesome. of staying there. So, yeah. Now, you said your major degree was it? What? Chemistry. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, any type of chemistry? Uh, not spe- I don't have a specific degree, um, but I did do uh, inorganic uh, research while I was there. Okay, yeah. And I am now uh, work at a uh, chromatography lab. Oh, very cool. Yeah. My uh, my wife is a forensic chemist. No for way! The of Justice. Yeah. Oh my god! Yep. Uh, we have to. We could talk about that uh, after <laughs> after this. I don't want to take up time to talk about that, but like I, uh, I'm basically a TA for classes at work. Okay. Um, so sometimes uh, forensic chemists come in to take mm-hmm. our classes about in uh, HPLC and GC. Uh, so that's that's awesome. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, anyway, uh, let's, let's get into it. Uh, my guest today is Christopher Kidder Mushroom, and he will be talking about, um, the art of, uh, translation and translating. Yeah, it is an art. It, it's, yeah. um, 
It's one of those things where people think translators and interpreters are the same thing. Okay. A lot of the time. Yeah. You know, the interpreter is that person who sits next to you totally. when you're talking to someone in a foreign language and they tell you what's being said. Right. And, and they're trying to be as precise and, and concise as possible mm -hmm. um, and, and to get the meaning back and forth between the two parties who are talking. Right. Um, translation uh, is, especially literary translation, is more about trying to get to the essence of what is being said cool. and capturing that. In fact, um, for years I've been working on a process of theatrical translation called Reclaiming the Essence. Okay. Um, and, and basically, uh, when I translate a play from another language, it is always going to sound like it's written out of my voice. Right. And so it sounds... And, and very possibly, it sounds very clunky. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. Because it's literally word for word translated. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm making some choices um, along the way. Mm -hmm. um, but what I have found is that I then uh, can put it into other voices by workshopping the translation through actors. Cool. Um, and by doing that, um, they have their own voices. And I just... They take what I Capture, say yeah. and, and improvise or uh, paraphrase around it. And uh, we take it through a really long process um, that involves pop psychology and something called a Jahari window. And it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's a long thing, but it, it's uh, the idea is to get a product, uh, uh, a finished product that is more true to the original. Yeah. That, than that clunky word for literal. word literal translation that I initially start with. Cool. I never would have thought about the the idea of, of uh, interpreting interpreting and translating being different, you know, concepts and and definitions. But uh, I really it makes perfect sense. You know, once you yeah. lay it out. What was the uh, initial um, interest in this for you? What, what brought you to it? The inception of your love for this idea. Well, the 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 truth of the matter is, I didn't. It, nah, <laughs> I came upon it by accident. Okay. Um, Sometimes that's the best way to happen. <laughs> it, it is. Um, you know, I went back to grad school, um, or I went to grad school uh, for playwriting. Um, I initially had hoped to go. And where was directing. grad school? The uh, University of New Orleans. Oh, cool. But more specifically, their low-residency MFA writing program. Wow. Uh, which the summers were spent overseas. Cool. Um, so it was uh, half done through the drama school and half done through the um, international school. Awesome. And so I was in Madrid, Spain. Very every, cool. Every summer for three years. And um, the advantage was that during the academic year... I would take classes online, uh -huh. and I could still be around my kid. Uh huh. And then and living this, in Minnesota still right, at the time. Cool. Exactly. I would be in Minnesota, and it wouldn't be an issue at all. Cool. Um, and then I, for a short time, about two and a half months ish, mm -hmm. every summer, I would go over to Spain. And, awesome. You know, um, so it was like Dad went on a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was an intense period of classes, mm -hmm. one of which that I took was a translating uh, workshop, learning how to do literary translation. Cool. And really, it was just a, at the time, it was just a... Uh, requirement for the... No, it wasn't even a requirement. Oh, wow. It was a random elective. elective I needed yeah. another credit. Cool. And, and so I, I took it. And uh, oddly enough, okay, so growing up uh, and moving around an awful lot... Mm-hmm. Um, I started, the first time I took German was in 7th grade. I took it again in 8th grade. And then I didn't take it in ninth grade, but then I took it 10th through 12th. Okay. Often starting over with German 1 each time. <laughs> um, and honestly, I hated it, but I okay. was just fine at it. Um, but then I went to college and decided, well, German isn't that terribly useful. I'm going to take uh, Spanish. Spanish, yes. As and, I think most students are leaning towards. Yeah, they are. It, and it was a horrible, horrible transition for me. Because those two languages Very are not languages. at all related. And I, someone would ask me a question in Spanish and I would process it, but then I would answer in the language that I knew better 
which was German, but I would throw smatterings of Spanish in oh, there. No. I called it Sperman because it, <laughs> it was a hybrid. <laughs> and Germish, it wasn't as funny. No. Um, but uh, so I did very badly. My grades were not good. Um, and I gave up after my required one year of it to uh-huh. get my, my BA. Uh, so grad school is in Spain. Great. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you, but wait, you so yeah, you didn't even have the uh, undergraduate experience. So. No, it, my undergrad experience was C or worse. Uh, so the thing oh, is, is man. that, um, and, and there's a French word for it, uh, uh, which means essentially the experience of being in an unfamiliar world. Cool. Um, and I probably just slaughtered the pronunciation. <laughs> I'm um, not anywhere near a French speaker, so I wouldn't know. But it, it's something that you run into when you're learning a language and you get dropped into a society that speaks that language is your brain kicks into panic mode and you learn it and a lot faster. You're forced to, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would so think so. Every year I would leave uh, Spain speaking at a level where I could survive. Okay. And then I'd come back here and I'd speak at about the level of a three-year-old. <laughs> and and that, that's about where I'm at right now, too. At, wow. Um, the, the, one of the differences between a literary translator also and an interpreter so you don't is the to... interpreter has to be fluent right. in the second language. Right. Um, a literary translator like myself, um, or like me, uh, doesn't have to necessarily be fluent in the second language, you absolutely have to master the primary language that you're going into. Sure. Um, now, on paper, I am much better at Spanish than I am speaking. I panic. I lock up when I'm speaking. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's how most... But I can read it, and mm-hmm. I, I can process it, and if I have to look up a word, I do, and then I, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the art of translation is more putting it into the words that the receiving audience is going to understand than mm-hmm. it is... To go Having to figure. I'm not out. ever going to be an English to Spanish translator. Right. Um, if someone were to translate my plays into Spanish, it would have to be someone else. So you wouldn't be able to do it. Right. right. Um, but I could read their results and go, "Yeah, that's not what I meant." <laughs> you know, it, it, wouldn't that be interesting, though? Uh, uh, the the idea of translating some you translating a Spanish play into English and then having it translated back into Spanish. And, you know, and doing like a, a like a telephone game of, yeah, of how absolutely. it how it uh, I, ends up. I wonder up. how it would turn out because um, I feel pretty confident in my translations. Right. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, even in the ones that were not from Spanish, um, and to have them go back, um, I, I translated one of Spain's, you know masterworks for my thesis project and that was El Cid de los Niños which means um, various translations of it but mine was The Young Lady's Consent Okay. and it's considered essentially the Moliere uh, type play Gotcha. Um, he was the Spanish Moliere he's the guy who brought Spain back up to where the rest of the world was at what's the time. playwright? Uh, his name was Leandro Fernandez de Moratin okay um, and he was the royal librarian to the uh, to the uh, Bonaparte. Oh, cool! Kings. Uh, Jose Bonaparte, brother of Napoleon, mm-hmm. uh, was king of Spain because um, Napoleon put him in charge of it. <laughs> yeah. um, Nepotism. It works. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he he uh, when the the Bonaparte. Uh, thing fell apart and they restored the Spanish crown to the Bourbons uh, mm-hmm. they uh, they all ran away to, to France um, because they because didn't they weren't really safe anymore yeah yeah um, but in, in that time he uh, he tra- he also translated Moliere's plays to Spanish into Spanish cool so I saw what he had done in the art of translating, and he tra- transferred them from French things into Spanish locations. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and things like that. So he uh-huh. altered things even more than I was going to do to his play. Uh-huh. Uh, I discovered, though, um, that he he did essentially the same idea, because, for instance, jokes. 
Mm-hmm. Jokes don't translate. Absolutely. Um, they just can't. Mm-hmm. The, the punchlines, the sensibilities, they, they don't click. But you can find things that are closely related. Mm-hmm. And there's so them. many uh, turns of phrases and things like that that, yep. that you know, puns and, and, you know, joke structures are so often reliant upon things like that that, yeah, there's, there's no universal joke language. And, and he, uh, Moratin, translated Hamlet to Spanish mm-hmm. as well. He His version of Hamlet was the Spanish version of Hamlet for about 250 years. Wow. Um, and, and you find fun things like the mistakes that he made. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point where Hamlet says to put your fingers, your finger to your lips, mm-hmm. meaning to make the shh yeah. type sign. And uh, he translated it as stick your finger in your mouth. <laughs> so... Gotcha. Uh, would look absurd. But, right. <laughs> you know, uh, that's for for a long time, I imagine. I haven't actually read any of the analysis in Spanish about that, but I imagine <laughs> there, were a lot of... there were probably some people confused as to what the Why hell that was, in there. was doing. Um, I bet there were a lot of uh, good made-up theories, though. I bet there were. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine directors going, I have this concept right, right, the right. finger. Right, yeah. Um, who knows? Um, but anyway, so so because of that, I felt a, a freedom uh, and, and a justified freedom uh, to play with his and bring it into an American sensibility. Cool. And to st- I still left it set in Spain. I still his Hamlet. Uh, no, his, uh, uh, his uh, young lady's see- concert. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. And uh, and I got the idea for doing it when going to Spain. I was assigned. Uh, well, you could do three poems. Please send me the poems before you get here so I'll know what you're working on. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to translate poems <laughs> for that. Uh, so I sent him a scene of a play. Cool. And he said, oh, this is great. I don't know why I ever just think about poems. Yeah. doing Breaking plays. Breaking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, because plays are in short scenes, especially yeah. when they're older. Of course. Um, and and so aren't I, as abstract. Right. So there's less, you know... Now, now, in the translation community, though, most people translate poems all the time hmm. because they're short and you can get them published, <laughs> um, which is good for them. But I feel like there is um, even more uh, artistic, you know, oh, there is. Uh, wavering there. There absolutely is. Yeah. Um, in some ways, that's wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of feeling that there's nothing new in the world. Uh-huh. Kind of thing. Absolutely. But even if you're taking something that's old that someone else did in another language mm-hmm. and you're putting it into a new, uh, you're couching it in your own language, um, you can find new beauty that wasn't there before. Um, I, I jumping topics, but this <laughs> last uh, this last year I was one of the readers for the National Translation Book Award. Cool. Um, I've now done that three times, but this is the first time um, that I received. A book of poetry. Awesome. And I read it. And in the first round, you're only judging the English version. You're not supposed to be comparing them. But oh, interesting. Poetry books are often published side by side. Oh. So one page is the English and one page is the original. Mm-hmm. Um, in the previous years, I had uh, La Celestina, um, which is the first novel ever written. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I read that in, in English only and I didn't have to compare it because that wasn't my thing. Part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one was uh, The Life and Times of Dr. Pi which is a short Argentinian thing which is both brilliant and terrible. <laughs> um, How many things do you usually have to read? Just one in the first round. Each adjudicator gets one book to okay. go okay. yes this is worthy of the book prize or no it's not. Gotcha. And in the second round you get it and you get that and the Spanish version. Or okay. that and the Polish, whatever language you're right, right, right. Obviously, I get Spanish. Um, and then you have to read the English, you have to read the Spanish, and you have to compare them and go, yeah, it's a good actual act of translation. Mm-hmm. Or, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> well, in the first round of this one, I got uh, this last year, the poetry on the left, the English, was dismal. Uh, and just some of the worst poetry. I, it might have been out of an eighth grade girl's spiral wow. notebook. Um, which... 
or boys, but you know, <laughs> that actually probably would make it worse. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, so let's go. Let's with boys. go with that. Um, and the 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 right hand side had some of the most really cool, beautiful images and great rhythms to it. And the Spanish was so much better. And so it was a, an act of the translator actually killing. No, oh, no, yeah. Whereas I have read other poems that improved by coming into the English because mm -hmm. English has hundreds of thousands of words as opposed to Spanish which might have 80,000 to 100,000 words kind wow. of thing. Most older languages that don't mug other languages for the vocabulary <laughs> have limited vocabulary. Sure. Um, and, and so English is a wonderful gift to translators coming this direction because we can choose things that carry nuances, that yeah. have rhythms, that, that build... Uh, beautiful images that aren't in the original and cool. so it's sort of insulting to have when, the English when, version be when the English version is limited. crap uh, <laughs> compared to the original and you're like no book prize right, right. <laughs> well, although my, my daughter's uh, studying Spanish in high school so I sent her the thing said here have a book um, you know and, and read the Spanish side right yep, exactly right <laughs> and, and uh, she likes some of them that's great. Cool. Um, yeah, my uh, I had a friend in college uh, named Rutsi who was uh, Moldovan and uh, spoke f most of the European languages fluently, but her uh, language of origin was uh, Romanian. Yes. And every once in a while, um, she would come upon a word in the English language that she just had never, you know, been introduced to before. And that was such a, like cool interesting concept for us uh uh one of the one of it, it's because seemingly like simple words that we we you know learned at really young ages one of the things she didn't uh that doesn't really have a word in romanian or at least in the way that it does here is bib so yeah. she got so excited about learning the word bib and <laughs> understanding what that was. Whereas we know that from almost toddler literally, yeah. We had to have these since we were babies. Right, yeah. right. It was so so that yeah. When you mentioned that, uh, that was uh, Ruxi has been you know and it was and still is one of my uh, windows into you know foreign language and and uh, you know European culture. Uh, so uh, she's still I would still consider one of my really close friends um, yeah. but she also um, this was another concept that she introduced to me that you kind of spoke to with uh, uh, spermish <laughs> was uh, she would often translate things um, when she was translating into other languages from English or vice versa she would alf often do it through Romanian yeah. so first into Romanian and then into Spanish or Spanish to Romanian and then English which I always thought was really cool and, and, and always admired about her because it's just like she was so so intelligent yeah. um but also you know had always had more of a reason to learn more of those languages than you know us sheltered americans in our contiguous 48 well absolutely you look at the size of some of the states compared to the countries italy fits inside minnesota wow. you know and, yeah and, and that's one of those things where i'm like okay so, <laughs> I make that drive from here to the Twin Cities, where I'm originally from, mm -hmm. and I get, uh, what, seven and a half hours on a bad day? I was going to say eight, yeah. Which means from Rome, if I hopped in a car, I could be in Germany, or, or yeah. I could be in France, or Switzerland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Any or, or rather the, the Czech Republic. The, right, right. Yeah. Um, in the same period of time. Oh, that's you know? so, yeah. And that's one of the glorious things about uh, about Europe is mm -hmm. that they have so many languages mm -hmm. and so many cultures. And that, that's one of the things I wanted to do when I started a theater company that did nothing but translation. Now, we didn't start out that way. In, in 1999, <laughs> we started out like every other theater company where a bunch of us got together. We had a few thousand dollars to piss away. Let's put on a play. Cool, yeah, um, of course. In then in 2006, because I was going to grad school and got into translating, we shifted to that. Um, but the reason that I found it exciting as a mission for a, for a company and sort of for a life is that there are so many things from other
other countries that we don't take the time to understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, okay, there's the Greek plays, the Roman plays, <laughs> the old plays that, you know, have all come from other languages, mm -hmm. but there are exciting things happening right now everywhere else in the world mm -hmm. um, that we could learn from, could experience, could uh, get a little bit out of um, and learn about ourselves in the process too. So, um, you know, we, we often, uh, especially in America, but also just in the English speaking countries have sort of a, an aversion to most other languages. Yes. Um, and, and <laughs> almost famously. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, America more so than the others, but even, yes. even in England, um, and so on, they, they might learn Spanish or French cause that's mm -hmm. who they're closest to. Right. But, um, generally <laughs> that's basically who we're closest to <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah. um, and you know it's it's one of those things where the the uh some of the great masterworks have never been translated into english hmm. um there's a, a epic poem um a spanish one called la dragontea uh, uh by Oh my goodness, my brain is fried. That's really bad. <laughs> um, it, he was the most prolific playwright of all time in Spain, and my brain is not going to... I'll shout it out later. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, um, feel free to... Feel free to... But it, it's like their Edda. You know, the, um, it's like their Homer. Um, okay. It's their... It, now, there's a reason it was never translated into English and published, because it's an epic poem about... The Rape of Spain by Sir Francis Drake and that bitch Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be why it's um, been left alone. Right. But at the, same, <laughs> at the same time, now, you know, 400 years later, someone should probably put it in into English so we uh -huh. at least know what the hell it's about. Uh -huh. It's a long poem. It's, it's very pretty. And uh, it would be nice to read, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there, there are things like that. There, there are. Uh, there was a book called We, uh, a Russian book by a guy named Zamyatin. Um, it was essentially the Russian version of 1984 by George Orwell, mm -hmm. um, and it was banned in Russia and it was never translated into English until about like 10 years ago, maybe 15. But for most of the 20th century, uh, it wasn't available in English. Yeah, and, and it gives an interesting insight into the fact that their thinkers and writers were thinking many of the same things that ours were about what this apocalyptic future right. that we were headed toward right. uh, was going to be like, or at least dystopian, not, not apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. um, so it, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world that we're unaware of, and mm -hmm. so I wanted to bring some Explore of that, that. Sure. to uh, our audiences. And uh, we started with Pope John Paul II's The Jeweler's Shop, because he was a playwright before, and actor before he became no a priest. No way! Yeah. Um, although he wrote that after he had become a priest, um, but he had written other plays prior. But this is his most successful play. And we thought, well, what the heck, we'll do it. And at that time, it was partially for the commercial value. Yeah, why not? Um, and uh, But it was a treatise on marriage, and you wouldn't think that it was necessarily written by someone who had a stake uh, in the definition of what a marriage is. Because right. it was three couples at different points in the marriage, a young couple thinking about getting married, and then you saw historically each of their parents' things, one who was uh, a marriage that uh, is falling apart and, and, and all sorts of problems, and, yeah. and one that uh, the dad died young, and so it was a single parent situation interesting that sounds and, awesome and so it was a really good play uh -huh. um and, and that's the first translated play we did and it in was translated 06. from polish yeah uh into english um and we didn't do the translation but it was a translated play uh -huh. um and we're looking at doing a reading of it and actually. what's the name of the theater company just so commedia beauregard commedia beauregard and Which, i can remember cb yep. but i couldn't uh we call it combo for short <laughs> um, <laughs> that makes sense and, and but it, the name of the theater uh actually existed since 99 since it was us right just putting on comedies uh but it literally means 
theater that's beautiful in expression. Cool. That's the literal translation of the name. So the name actually uh, serendipitously. <laughs> mm, uh, we'll go with that. <laughs> had, had, a, had a translated meaning, which is kind of That's cool. awesome. Um, so uh, the first half is Italian, the second half is French. Uh, I had a French guy uh, when I worked at Teatro de la Jeune Lune up in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. um, the artistic director goes, oh, theater of the pretty face. No. <laughs> So jewelry shop, how that went over well enough that you wanted to continue? It did. Yeah, it went over well enough that uh, it launched um, doing a whole bunch of translations. Obviously, it's all, all pretty much all we do. Mm -hmm. um, it launched the Klingon Christmas Carol, of all yeah. things, because that was at the end of that same year. Because um, jewelry shop went into... 2007. Okay. And then by the end of 2007, we were putting on the first production of Klingon Christmas Carol. Very cool. Because we needed a translation-based fundraiser. Uh-huh. Um, and you... Uh, I remember you talking about this uh, when I met you at mm -hmm. Your Stories. Um, but it, you realize, you guys realized that you wanted to translate something in English to another language. Right. And we're trying to figure out a creative language to do it in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pick choose the right uh, work. Uh, yep. that you wanted to do it with. Well, the, the, the initial thing, we, we still thought, well, heck, we can do a Christmas play from another country. Mm -hmm. it, researching plays from somewhere else is really hard to do if you don't speak the languages. Uh, <laughs> I would think and, so. And yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't find a Spanish play that I liked uh, that I wanted to translate into, uh, especially that fast, because I, I was also, at that time, finishing my grad thesis. Right. Uh, which we did immediately prior to playing. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And, um, my girlfriend at the time was the French speaker and she didn't find a French thing to do. And, uh, we didn't have any other translators on staff at that point. And there weren't translated Christmas plays that we were finding already, oh, already done. Mm -hmm. So the translating out of English was really just, Sort of a desperate move <laughs> on our part. Um, and, and yeah, going to the Klingon language was entirely a joke right. but, uh, made by one of our board members, um, which we, in 2008, were followed around by a uh, documentary crew that filmed our entire uh, rehearsal process from auditions to the end of the show. Cool. Um, and what, ha what became of the uh, footage? Uh, the documentary is mostly done. Uh, he, I, I have a quote-unquote completed version of right. it, uh, but we can't distribute it. Uh, so we occasionally show it to people who are interested in sponsoring it or you know, things like that. Sure, but, yeah. Um, basically, the, the filmmaker moved to San Francisco and never finished it, Aww. <laughs> uh, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, the show has changed so much since then that it's that it's not even it's really fine. an accurate yeah. depiction of what you're doing now. Right, um, it's an accurate it, depiction of what you were doing in 2008. <laughs> one of the odd things, uh, he sat down with the guy who made the joke, who was on our board at the time. Okay, and he explained that he just shouted "How about in Klingon," and, and we wrote it down. And he thought the joke was going to last about 30 seconds and be done. Oh and man, that's so great! The thing is, his term on the board was up. Um, so he actually was not around when as it part became. of the company by the time we were doing the show. Um, so that his odd joke, it was like his exit line, essentially. He mm -hmm. walked, walked out the door, Klingon, blind! <laughs> and, and, and we're all like, okay. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, translating into a, a constructed language... Um, is probably the only way I would translate out of English myself. Mm -hmm. and, and that is partly because the constructed language, you know what words exist. Okay. That it's a limited vocabulary, exceptionally mm -hmm. limited, mm -hmm. a limited structure. You can figure out what you can say, and that informs what you're writing in the English. Gotcha. Um, and, and So did you... So you guys uh, chose or formulated your uh, version of... Christmas Carol in English before you did it in 
Klingon. Right. Although it was sort of a half and half thing. Okay. We, we had an outline. We went to talk to the Klingon fans to find out. Okay, so in the Dickens, this happens. What would be the Klingon version of that? Gotcha. And, and, and we got that from a couple of different clubs, uh, and you know the people who actually memorized. Well, episode X means that. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which we are not. Um, right. I. I I grew up watching the original series after school because it was on every day after middle school. Sure. And what's it called? Uh, Next, Next Gen, Gen started when I was in sixth grade. So, you know, it was part of the American fab fabric. Sure. It was part of what everyone was watching. Sure, but sure. But it wasn't so You weren't so uh, a Trekkie. At that point. <laughs> um, but I obviously knew the things. And I wanted, right. I wanted to respect both pieces of source material. So yeah. we did as much research as we could before we started writing. Um, and the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is then we had what famous lines have to be in there from the Dickens. Absolutely, yeah. And then what famous lines have from Klingon be. culture have to be in there. Uh -huh. And then we filled in the gaps. Interesting. With things we knew we could say. Like at the time, there was not a word for rich or poor. Oh, man. And so... Uh, why are you so, I don't know that I'm going to slaughter the English because I now think of it in the Klingon, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's something like, why are you unhappy? You're rich enough. Why are you so, or why are you unhappy? Or why are you so happy? You're poor enough. Why are you so rich? Uh, fuck. <laughs> See, I can't do it anymore. Anyway, it's a combination of rich and poor and why are you happy and why are right, you not? Right, 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 right. Um, and, and in the Klingon, uh, we went with. Why are you so unhappy? Your hand is full. Why oh. are you so uh, happy? Your hand is empty. Gotcha. Um, giving it okay. strangely a, a very poetic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that that grew out of the fact that we knew that there weren't words. That's for us so funny. Ah, oh, that's cool. Now, in the eight years that we've been working on this, those words have come to be invented. Other words have come to be invented. There were three words that were created for our show by the guy who created the language. No way! Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, what are they? Uh, corruption and apathy. Um, and I am not going to say them. <laughs> uh, 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 it's, you didn't have it's to. It's which is corruption, and shachagach, which is uh, apathy. And then hipdok. <laughs> which is two separate words that we slammed together. Um, and it's essentially been okayed now. And that means red shirt. Okay. Um, and uh, we, we also coined a, a standard goodbye, because there's no hello or goodbye. Interesting. But uh, we say, which means uh, success and honor. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, on the show, they started saying like it was a, a farewell. And all it is is really wishing someone success, so saying good luck. Um, so uh, it's, you guys did the did the we, success and honor thing before we, they did no, that, or no uh, after, but we we tried to turn it into okay. So everyone's oh, saying, I see, I see. Everyone's mm -hmm. saying kapla as if it's goodbye. What would it have to be to make it a to goodbye? be an actual? Yeah, that makes sense. Salutation. Um, oh gosh, I was gonna. Oh, how many words are there in? Klingon. I'm going to guess around 3,000. Okay. May maybe 5,000 now, but probably not. So you're looking at a really small fraction of most right. languages. But it's an agglutinative language, so you ram things together. Oh, uh, like uh, German? Isn't not it? like German, because German's agglutinative too, but it, it you really slam separate words together right. to make longer words. Right. Um, it's more like Basque or Hungarian in that um, there are parts of words, like there's a chart of prefixes that and suffixes that slam onto different words to add meaning oh. or change the meanings and sure um you can make entire sentences that are just one word um <laughs> and, and there are you know you can put like seven different suffixes onto one word and have a sentence wow uh so it's a little insane and once you learn the charts the language is really easy uh um until that point, it's really confusing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it's interesting to learn something like that that is planned out. It mm -hmm. plays with the rules of language. Mm -hmm. um, and then go back to regular languages. 
there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions to the rule right. in Klingon. Yeah. Um, whereas That's in, refreshing. in English or Spanish, there always are. Yeah, you know? I would love that. Because yeah. that was always my biggest struggle in, in English. Uh, you know, you, mostly spelling, but English in general and Spanish. Uh, as I am, you know, a scientifically leaning uh, uh, academic, I guess, mm-hmm. if you want to say that. Uh, scientific and mathematic, I would always cling to the, you know, rules of science and math and not be able to have those in, you know, I always, I hated that there weren't rules for, right. for English. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, even you, the spelling rules you get, I before E, except in front of C. And there it sounds still like neighbor things, and way, yeah. And it's like, oh, I know. It's, yep. It was so infuriating to me. So I think it would be refreshing for me to work with a language that I was unfamiliar with that had yeah. all these really distinct rules. Yeah. So have you d- worked in any other uh, uh, created languages? Not yet. Um, there are a lot of people who say, "Well, have you thought of doing something in Elvish?" Elvish and, I... and my first response is, "Oh hell no! This is seven <laughs> years of my life. I'll never get back." And <laughs> you want me to do what? Um, but at the same time, yeah, actually, we're, we're finally coming around to that thought. Cool. Now, we're not going to do a full show in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are enough created languages now um, that are that have fan bases essentially. I'm sure there um, are <laughs> that we can chop something into chunks. Um, in Minnesota, the Minnesota Fringe Festival has a, a fundraiser every year called Five Fifths, where they take a major film, work of literature, play, whatever, chop it into five fifths, and, and have five, different, five different theater companies. That's treat it. really cool. Um, and we got, we were involved in the Romeo and Juliet year. Okay. And we did uh, the fourth act of Romeo and Juliet, which basically is uh, she gets the poison, she takes the poison, she doesn't wake up. And we decided to translate it (laughs) into a um, 1940s, 1950s instructional video on how to avoid an arranged marriage. (laughs) Um, And I've always loved this idea because... uh, you know, uh, the Brave New Workshop, which is the Twin Cities version of the uh, of Second City. In fact, okay. It's actually two years older than Second City. Huh. Um, 56. Mm-hmm. Second City just turned 54. Yep. Uh, and uh, they did the closing act. We did the fourth act. There was a, a weird, trippy group that did the third act that really didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and and I, don't, I don't remember who did the other acts, but it, it was a great evening, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and ever since then, I've wanted to do that here. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about doing it with other theater groups, but then uh, recently we hit on the thought of why not do it all ourselves, yeah. but do we'll each do act different. in five different languages. That's cool. So, you know, um, one act in Klingon because, you know, we do that. That's your thing. One now. act in, in Elvish, one act in Dothraki, uh, one in Navi, and those are the four that I know of. I still have to find a fifth that is a fully functional, fully created language. And huh. we kick back to Esperanto because that was the granddaddy of them all, essentially. Uh, in the functional uh, created languages. What's Esperanto? Esperanto was created um, well over 100 years ago now, but it was embraced during the Soviet era uh, as a potential uh, language to uh, bring the world together. Oh. I knew I had heard of it before, but I couldn't place it. It's essentially, um, if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> there's the language common that everyone speaks okay. in theory. And it's that. It, okay. It's a language created from all the other languages to be as easy as possible so everyone could speak it. Uh, they actually, in the 60s, made some films, or 70s, uh, in it to try and spread it. Uh, one starred uh, William Shatner. <laughs> Full circle. Yep. Um, and so it's one of those uh, things where it's out there, but at the same time, it doesn't have fans. It does have. Right. It has probably the largest number of speakers. Oh, interesting. Of the created languages. Well, yeah, I wouldn't um, think there would be. But dot dot dot. Um, it's not something that's going to get people to run out and go see the Esperanto sure. version of whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Part that's, of me is once man. a fifth creative film language to come along so that I can... So that you can grab onto... I'm yeah. trying to think of... 
if I think of something, I would, oh, definitely well, pets. I can't, I... They're, they're little partial ones. That's what's funny. Right. I mean, I, the, the only thing that came to mind for me was, like, um, uh, the, the snake language in Harry Potter, but that has really, really limited, right. uh, what, parcel tongue. Yep. Uh, really limited, uh, vocabulary, I would Another think. one for me was Lapine, which is the, uh, language that's spoken by the rabbits in Watership Down. Oh, yeah, yeah. But again, that, that has a glossary of, what, maybe 200 words, and it isn't actually functional. Anything, no. But, you know, there are things out there that, if they grew, mm -hmm. would, maybe we do something that can only be chopped into four acts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, maybe another, uh, maybe there will be another... Um... Well, you have you have two things that you can maybe look forward to. Maybe there'll be another important language in Game of Thrones, or there's also supposed to be sequels to Avatar being made. So maybe right. there'll be some other species with a language in, uh, yeah, in that. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the odd things. Uh, Mark Okran, the guy who created Klingon, mm -hmm. for about 20 to 25 years was the guy who created all the languages for movies. So the movie Atlantis from yep. Disney, mm -hmm. he created that language. Cool. He created Vulcan. He created a, a whole bunch of others, which I don't have off the top of my head. Yep. But then came Navi and Dothraki, and those are by two completely different guys. Oh. And, and so Mark is no longer the go-to guy. The guy. Oh, um, man. <laughs> he also just retired um, from his real job. Uh -huh. um, yeah, which is great because it means he gets to come see our show. To do more stuff, and, and things like that. But, awesome. Um, you know, it's one of those things where there are people now, uh, uh, more of them, being tapped for that. So mm -hmm. who knows? And more sci-fi as yeah. uh, technology makes fantastical science fiction more possible. Sure. Um, that I'm sure there's going to be something. I would think so too. And it seems like, I mean... I think this is not an uncommon thing to point out at this point that all of these things are becoming just, you know, permeating pop culture. I mean, you're talking about some of the biggest oh, yeah. uh, pop culture, you know, uh, pillars right now are mm -hmm. things like, you know, Game of Thrones. and Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At the time, uh, you, you know, know, back in 2010 or whenever mm -hmm. Avatar came out. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if Disney does... Uh, a really impressive job with Star Wars uh, 7 through 9. Right. <laughs> um, maybe they will finally hire someone to come in and say, Hut ease, let's make it real. Yeah, yeah. Flesh it out instead of, or Shrewook. Oh, God, let's hope not. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, oh, boy. Oh, I would love it if they came out with the language of the Rodians so that mm -hmm. you could actually figure out the whole. Right before he gets shot. But yeah, the thing is, is that 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 allows us to explore and look at ourselves. I mean, when it comes down to it, translating one of our classic works of literature into another. That's so cool. And I mean, man, I really love the the idea of crowdsourcing that you guys working with people who were you know knowledgeable of the language and mm -hmm. it's so awesome that we have you know the ability to do that now with yeah. people that you have never met probably well, yeah. well we've, we've met all of them now and good I, I, I had never at the time i right. guess i should have said yeah um and uh it, it gathers attention for what we are trying to do. I mean, we're about to do Machiavelli's The Mandrake cool. next month, and I, I translated that originally in 2005 for a theater up in the Twin Cities, um, but it uh, got a retreatment here because all the songs I had translated and adapted to Twin Cities culture. Oh. Because um, Twin Cities theaters do that a lot. They like to make fun of yeah. Ludafisk and Lutheran basement women and things like that. <laughs> um, so, so I... Um, I had to redo them here, mm -hmm. and that part was exciting to me, revisiting the piece and going, okay, well, that joke works up there, but sure. not here. So there's even translation From between... From city to city. Yeah, between little pocket cultures yeah, yeah, yeah. In, within America, and I, I tried to make it generic enough now that it will work uh -huh. wherever it goes. Gotcha. Um, but we'll see. I, I, yeah. just, I don't think that's entirely... 
possible. Yeah, that the nerdlogs have been kind of um, throwing around, uh, put making one of our shows uh, titled Cinco de Bilbo, which was centered nice. around. Uh, that was actually my first show with the group, and it was such a blast. Uh, we um, it was in May. Uh, 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 partially, obviously, but uh, the the story hinges around us traveling from uh, Wrigleyville and Wrigley Field down to U.S. Cellular, and we threw around the idea of like making it, you know, riding it into another city's, uh, uh, you know, culture. So we had to like sit around and think about like which other cities had two baseball teams and things right. like that. Yep. So we've totally been there, you know, not quite as in depth, but. It's the same idea, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's the thing is that um, I love exploring the idea of different cultures. And, and um, one of the things that I thought about talking about today was the need to travel to other countries and yeah. thoughts back. Mm-hmm. But even if you can't do that, and looking at plane tickets recently, I, <laughs> most people can't do that. Yeah. Um, at yeah. least more than once in their life. Mm-hmm. And so. Finding ways to bring their arts to us is really important to me. That's awesome. You know, um, and so we're doing the Mandrake. Uh, you know, it's a sex farce from the 1500s. <laughs> but it, it's by the guy who said the ends justify the means. And you can right. watch where the political manipulation actually happens throughout a freaking sex farce. Cool. You know? uh, um, and, that's and, awesome. And uh, the director of it. Um, is playing around with a grunge sort of Seattle feel to it cool. so that we know and can identify where how it fits into our culture, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the next thing we're doing is uh, I'm translating for the first time ever into English uh, El Anillo del Diablo, which means the Ring of the Devil, um, by a guy named Enrique Zumel. Okay. And uh, it was from the 1870s. But um, Spanish... Uh, theater from in the 1800s basically did what our entertainment has done uh, since the 1950s. Interesting. Um, If you think about where TV started out with Uh with sitcoms that were very all one set. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Laugh tracks. Yeah, and then move into the point where we're at now where there's not a whole lot of plot or plot is simplified and there are a lot of explosions. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a special effects theater Uh is what happened there. Cool. Is that um, the Leandro Fernandez de Moratine thing that I did was 1806, and it was a well-made play. It stayed within 24 hours. It was uh, verisimilitude. It was all about uh, doing things the, in the neoclassical style. By the time 70 years later, uh, when this play uh, El Anillo del Diablo was written, um, you have. Uh, transformations, disappearances, explosions, puppets changing from one thing to another. As many special effects as you can have. That's awesome. It was a style called Commedia uh, Commedia del Magia. Okay. uh, Or De Magia, rather. And it is uh, theater of magic, but it's special effects theater. Mm -hmm. And so you you watch that 70-year arc and watch the 70-year arc of since television was invented. Mm-hmm. And we're basically following exactly the same Cool. Uh, and, and so doing that one now uh, resonates with me in that way. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And so um, I don't know if it'll resonate with other people that way. I hope they just like the fun explosions. And the right. <laughs> um, but, but it's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like playing around with what does translation mean. Yeah. Um, in and of itself. We... we uh, have a project where we have we hand playwrights a painting and say translate this into a 15 minute play cool right. and, and um, we've done Goya we've done uh, Van Gogh we've done Rembrandt and, and it's amazing what you get because some people Absolutely. write look if you walk into a museum and you look at a painting um, and this comes from uh, first off uh, comes from a quote uh, from Octavio Paz, who was a poet in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've heard Paz. Yeah, uh, and, and he made a statement, and I'm going to just paraphrase because I don't have it, <laughs> um, that all poets are translators. Cool. And it, you can extrapolate it to, uh, from his entire thing is that all artists are translators because you are taking something, anything, and experience 
an image and you're trying to translate it into a form that other people will react to. Sure. And, and so think about that you walk into a museum and you're looking at a painting on a wall and you're in some foreign country so you can't read that placard. <laughs> you don't know what that says next to the painting but you still can have a visceral reaction to what it is and you can look at it and go, oh, I know what's going on here. Or you can go, I have no freaking clue what's going on here. <laughs> you know, either one yeah. is a completely valid reaction to that piece of art. Yeah. And so when we give the paintings to the playwrights, um, the instructions are don't research this. Just yeah, look at the just, painting. This is your interpretation. Yeah, That's walked, really cool. You've walked into that museum and you have to react to it. Now translate it to us. That's tell really us what cool. it's about. Uh, and, um, and tell us its story. Mm -hmm. And you get some that are like, okay. oh, I know what this is. And they tell you literally what it is. Uh -huh. And sometimes you get things that are so off base from mm. what it originally was. Mm. But it's still like, oh yeah, I see where you got that. Cool. Yeah, okay. uh, I Not to uh, interrupt that idea, yeah. uh, but to close it out. First of all, are you familiar with the uh, Irish uh, Brian Friel play translations? No, I'm familiar with Friel, but not that play. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I probably have a copy of it. And would not mind uh, either giving or loaning it to you. Well, that would be very cool. Uh, it's uh, I did it my freshman year of college, and it's okay. all about um, uh, the uh, uh, British uh, British soldiers coming in and having to um, Anglicanize and and and, and translate uh, oh, the Irish, the Irish yeah, like signpostings and things like that. Uh, so I played a, a, a one of the Irish characters. It was uh, you know. One of the first larger roles I... It yeah. was only the second play I'd ever done in college. And I, uh, yeah, just wanted to see if that was That's something you were interested cool. in. It's it's great. Well, and it's it's very... It hinges around the, you know, the literal uh, losing, you know, yeah. losing their uh, language and culture. Well, that's one of the things. And, and I know we're near the end of our time, but that was one of the most amazing things that I learned that in over the last few years. I'm a member of the American Literary Translators Association. Cool. Uh, and another member uh, there did a panel at one of the conventions about operas mm -hmm. and um, specifically focusing on The Bartered Bride by Smetana, which was a bohemian opera or Czech opera. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that area was conquered by Austria, Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm -hmm. um, essentially the Germans, mm -hmm. uh, at, for a long time. And most of the time when you see productions of The Bartered Bride, uh, you see it in German. Interesting. Because the conquering society essentially took over their art and redefined it. Right. And their first song in German is about being a good citizen. <laughs> Whereas the actual Czech was about the beauty of spring and the oh, fun and man. loveliness. And, and, and so their English translation was from the Czech. And uh -huh. It was not at all what you would read in the supertitles uh -huh. if you went and saw it uh -huh. um, at the Met or at the Lyric. Right. Because they're going to do the German translation, not uh -huh. the actual Czech. Man. And, and so it was one of those appropriating yeah. uh, the art of and conquering and using translation as an actual weapon, uh -huh. essentially. That's... Um, that's a lot of the same uh, ideas in translations. One of my favorite things about it is that uh, most of the Irish characters speak in Gaelic and most of the English or British characters speak English, mm -hmm. but everyone's speaking English. And so the audience has to uh, uh, differentiate, but the characters aren't speaking English to one another. Does right. that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a hard thing to grasp. But once you do, it's really cool to, it's like this, it's just wrought with dramatic irony because the audience knows exactly what's being said at all times and the characters don't always. It's, yeah. it's really great play in my opinion. Uh, my last question, um, which uh, I know that you've uh, um, definitely spoken to uh, throughout this whole thing, um, but I like hearing the like concise uh, answer to it, is uh, how do you feel like your love of and uh, passion for um, translating and translations um, have influenced, one, your life creatively, and two, your life in general? Well, creatively, it's pretty much defined where my career is headed since 2006. Right. Um, I don't read new plays anymore <laughs> in English. Um, I, I don't produce new plays in English anymore. I, I uh, produce 
plays from elsewhere in in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my entire career has become mission based because of that. Um, there are musicals I would love to do someday, and I, <laughs> I sit there and go, "Well, um, that's not really from another language." Oh. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know that kind of thing. Right. Um, and uh, but it has it's made me look at what's out there. There's a there is a musical that I'm trying to figure out how to pull off getting the rights to in Sweden that's been doing really well for the last couple of years. It's sort of a messianic representation of the guy who founded Ikea. <laughs> cool. And, and I, I would love, I don't speak Swedish and I don't know, uh, I, I have a friend in Sweden who does obviously speak Swedish, uh-huh. um, but who is not a, a dramatic translator by any uh-huh. stretch of the imagination. He's actually a Klingon translator, which is how I know him. <laughs> Um, uh, that's great. But, dot, 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 mm-hmm. um, if I can find someone to be the middleman there, right? Uh, I would love to get a hold of that play and do it. That sounds you know, awesome. Um, and, and of course, American audiences would love that as well. Right, because yeah. we now have Ikea. We, right. We think of it sort of the same way, all we don't think of it, their founder of the company. Right. Um, because we don't really know his story at yeah. all. But why not put it out there? Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing, is that uh, it, it's made me look for different sources, for different experiences, for sort of ways to rock the the world of the basic American audience mm-hmm. and sort of trick them into appreciating other peoples. Right. You know, um, and, and so that's that's goal number one for my career now. And, that's and awesome. So let's change that. That's um, a fantastic goal as far as I'm concerned. For, for me personally, I, I have... Uh, friends all over the world and people that I can legitimately call friends mm-hmm. all over the world now. And part of that's thanks to the Klingon thing. Yeah. But part of that is also as I'm exploring other things. I, I have a friend from my time in grad school from Tunisia who I haven't yet talked to since Tunisia had their oh wow uh, revolution because mm-hmm. I don't know how to get a hold of her. Oh my gosh. Um, but it, it makes me think because there's a personal connection there. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, she had studied in America. We met in Spain, so we already had some things to talk about there. I learned about her homeland, and, and, you know. Sure. Um, and, and just knowing her from that time makes me think more critically about what's going on in Northern Africa mm-hmm. than I would otherwise. I absolutely, mean, I absolutely. Go, well, this is significant, but now I have a personal connection. Yeah. And, and so the the language. A thing, the exploration of other arts of translating um, affects me on a daily basis by making me more worldly and not meaning cool. possessions wise, but yeah, yeah. experiencing what's going on around and caring. And I think if more people became aware and cared what was going on everywhere, mm-hmm. um, it would it would make us a better people here. Yeah, I would have to agree. That's awesome. That's an excellent answer. Thank you so much for doing this. It was fascinating, and I uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, To close it out, I say um, the thing I always say, and that is, Christopher, I love you, and I mean that. Thank you. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am GrabBot23548X.